fish on. Hey, Radcast is on. Hunting, fishing, and everything in between. This is Radcast Outdoors. From the Porter's 10Cast Studio, here are David Merrill and Patrick Edwards. Hello and welcome to another episode of Radcast Outdoors. Today we're in the Porter's 10Cast Studio. I'm here with Patrick Edwards. Hey everybody. And we have... I'm Joshua Kirk. Josh Kirk. It's awesome to have you in the studio. You know what I had for dinner last night, Patrick? What's that? I had some elk backstrap. That sounds pretty good. You know what I put on that? Probably high mountain seasonings. I put on some of high mountain seasonings <laughs> backstrap rub. Man, that sounds good. Yeah, again, we're joined by Josh Kirk. For those of you who aren't familiar with Josh, um, he's living here in Wyoming managing some bison up outside of Lander on the Wind River Range. And he is also on the hit show Mountain Men on the History Channel. And very excited to have him here and just kind of get some of his story. And we can talk a little bit about mountain men stuff, survival stuff, which I know you spend a lot of time on and just general outdoors. Um, So welcome. Hey, it's good to be here. Um, I know what I'm having for dinner tonight, smoked fish. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty excited about that. Good, good. Very excited. It's good to be here. Uh, You know, I, I... to me, it's a, it's a, it's a lifestyle. It's a, it's a passion. Um, I was blessed. I, I grew up very old school. I'm 35 years old. Um, no electricity. Uh, we were in an Amish Mennonite community, come from a background. Of, we wanted to live self-sustainability. Um, I, I say this a lot. It's one of my quotes, but I believe thoroughly in the last hundred years that society as a whole has sold its soul for supply and demand in a house on Main Street. And for what? They're trading their freedom for convenience, and it's important now, especially for this new generation, to keep this tradition, this lifestyle alive, uh, to be self-sustainable. Understand where your meat comes from. Understand farm to table. Understand what it takes to be a conservationist first, but also at the same time to em- baptize yourself in the wilderness, um, harvest an animal. So and- just here recently, Josh, we have uh, chickens at home, right? And uh, while the store was out of chicken eggs, you know who was having <laughs> scrambled eggs every morning? <laughs> I was. Oh, that's awesome. I actually, last Sunday, we harvested 31 chickens that we raised organically. Awesome. Um, and it was, it was pretty, pretty cool. It was, it's not, there's a, there's a feeling of uh, freedom to go out to the smokehouse or if you got a freezer or refrigerator and pull a piece of meat out and understand and know where it's coming from. There's a sense of pride too when you know you've packed that meat, you've cared for yeah. that meat, and I mean, in your case, we, we got the bison, so you're watching these calves grow up and doing herd <laughs> management, right? So oh, I mean, yeah. these are like kind of almost like your children sometimes. Oh mm-hmm. yeah, they're uh, they are my babies, um, you know, and it's 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 my responsibility to keep them healthy, keep them happy, and also I've got Custer Pendleton. Um, my bottle baby. <laughs> I've seen him on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> he is something else. Uh, we got him halter broke, lead rope broke. He's packing a little small pack saddle. It's a dog pack saddle because he's only a month and a half old. But I plan on riding him one day. And uh, that's my awesome. ultimate goal is to ride him into town and possibly indulge in <laughs> an adult beverage and yeah. ride him back. No, that's really cool. I did want to ask a little bit more about your background because – if I understand right, you come from Georgia, is that right? I am a Georgia boy. I'm Southern. Yes, sir. So tell me a little bit more about that, and then also tell me why I come to the Wind River Range of Wyoming. So uh, 
I grew up in uh, the backwoods of Georgia. I uh, grew up uh, very traditional, very uh, religious, extremist uh, religious, I guess you would say. When I say extremist, I mean, we uh, we lived uh, in Tennessee for a short time, uh, spent time with the Amish Mennonite there. Uh, great, great people, a great way to learn how to uh, embrace self-sustainability, so to speak. And... Uh, so that coming from that background, we wanted to learn how to live. And then uh, once we learned that self-sustainability, then my dad put a down payment on a down payment on a piece of property. It had mature pine trees. We brought a sawmill in. We cut up those trees and we started building. Uh, we lived in a school bus and a little cheap travel trailer that was headed to the dump that we got for free. Uh, the old school bus had a wood stove in it. So we lived in that while we built our house. And it began from there. That's awesome. And so why Wyoming? What what was the the big driver to say, let's go to the Wind River Range in Wyoming? <laughs> so I, I, I look back, I, I was a big reader. I read a lot. I didn't have a chance to go to school. You know, I didn't have a chance to do that. I was homeschooled uh, from an early age at 11 years old. I started working full time and uh, I read a lot. Um, I'm self-educated, I guess, to an extent. Uh, that's the way I would look at it. But I read a lot. I really got into history of the mountain men. I got into Louis Lemoore books, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and just over time, I started reading, 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 and it created a passion. I started trapping at about, oh, five years old, getting out in the woods, uh, harvesting meat. Um, we had a spring house that we used to uh, keep our produce and meat, mm-hmm. meat cool. Um, started learning, you know, started doing, uh, smoking, smoking the meat and just it, my reading opened up my mind and it took me to a new place. I wanted to travel. And at the time we were traveling a lot as well, cause working with indigenous tribes across the country, up in the Northern Canada as well. And so I got it, I was exposed to culture and I think culture and diversity is a beautiful thing. Um, there's something about travels when you see culture, it makes you realize, golly, I live in a box, you know, how do I break out of this box? And with my background, you know, now it's a trending thing. They call it survival. They call it bushcraft and homesteading, whatever that to us that was living, you know, that's what it took for us to survive day to day. And, uh, the more I read, uh, when I was 17, I went to Utah and met up with a guy and we became really good friends and they ha- he had a ranch there, started guiding hunts with them, elk hunts, deer hunts, et cetera. And um, I have a background and uh, wasn't really allowed to play sports at that time, but I was allowed to box and do jujitsu and Krav Maga and some other things. So growing up in that, uh, my friend was also into that as well. And I had my first fight coming up. I got hurt. I was uh, working some horses at the time uh, with a friend of mine. I got hurt really bad. It ended my fighting career at the time. And at 21, I uh, decided to ride a horse across the state of Utah and got caught up in the Uinta mountain range in a blizzard, um, almost died of hypothermia. And it was the skills that I would grew up on that got me out of that. And that's when I knew I wanted to teach. Mm-hmm. So. That's awesome. That's, that's just the beginning stages. Um, <laughs> And to me, you know, there's a lot of people that teach. Uh, I never went to a school for any of that. Um, I was living off experiences. What what better way to teach someone is based on your own experience. From If you get hypothermic, I've almost died of Giardia, Cryptosporidium. Cryptosporidium is not as bad 
uh, water pathogen. But Giardia, once you get it, it sticks with you. I almost died of that. I, I remember my friend uh, coming over to the house, and we didn't do doctors at the time either as well. I remember my friend coming up to the house, and my dad uh, was downstairs, and he was like, how's Josh doing? And he said, well, we're, we, we're hoping he's going to make it. <laughs> we're hoping he's going to make it. Thanks, Dad. Uh, yeah. And my friend walked upstairs, and uh, he said he walked up, and there was a fly crawling on my eyeball. And um, uh, at the time, the only thing I was using was activated charcoal to fight it, and that's what got me out of it. Wow. So, yeah, from then on, uh, if I'm going to pr- procure water, by God, I'm either going to bullet it or it's going to go through a straw of some sort, you know, mm-hmm. with a filter. So Absolutely. when I worked in the outfitter in the caps, there was a couple springs that I drink out of up and back every, every day all the time, right? And I did that all year, and it's not a big deal. You're, you're riding by, you fill up your canteen, and you keep going. And I did it years after years. But now that I'm doing these, you know, expedition-style 10, 12-day backpack trips, I've got tablets, I've got chemicals, I've got a pump. Because I'm not going to risk my one-week trip on not purifying that water. You know, and I, I I agree 100%. It's better to be prepared. That's what I uh, that's what I try to teach is preparation. If you find yourself in that situation, there's no worse thing than having Giardia cryptosporidium, a water pathogen, and being in the wilderness. I've been there, um, and fluid coming out both ends mm-hmm. because then what in this country it it smells. I'm sorry. Let's be real for a minute. When you start having ants crawling up towards you and you're bringing in predators. And you're weak, you're dehydrated, it's not worth it. So how can we be prepared to do that? I think Horace Kephart said it best. He, uh, Horace Kephart was the founder of the Smoky Mountain National Park. And uh, he's, he, said, uh, he said, the more we carry in our head is the less we carry on our back. And in the school of the woods, there is no graduation day. Amen I like to that. that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Um, so right now you're, you're doing the 1838 Rendezvous and spending some time with some other folks. And, and so tell me a little bit about that and what you're doing. So um, coming west, uh, it was our dream to in Utah to raise bison, and that's what got me to Lander, Wyoming, uh, was raising bison and taking over the herd as a manager and uh, keeping, keeping them healthy and happy. And then last year I popped into the rendezvous right as it was closing and got mm-hmm. to meet them, and I didn't get to spend time. So I started doing research, and – I'm like, oh my goodness, this is the original 1838 site yep. of the first rendezvous in history. They had four of them there, actually, no. just because they loved, yep. you know, it was such a convenient place to no. ha- host the rendezvous. It's it's amazing because it's like you're walking in the path of those ancestors, you know. And you look at these guys, going back to reading real quick, you look at these guys. Most of these guys were city-born. Most of these mountain men were city-born, coming out of St. Louis. They wanted a different life. Maybe they had faced a crisis situation. Uh, I know I've been there. I lost my dad two and a half years ago to a homesteading accident. He was cutting a tree down, and a tree kicked out and uh, killed him. And it, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it doesn't matter where you come from. I think it's, it's where you're going. And to embrace the mountain men, a pathway – uh, and to, but to be at the rendezvous, you know, to tread in their path. And last night, matter of fact, at the, the rendezvous, I've wanted uh, beads for trade beads for quite a long time. And I did a trade with a guy last night and these are original 1740 trade beads. Oh. And, uh, when I seen this necklace, it had bison teeth on it and I was like, the kiss of God. Was <laughs> it's beautiful. That's awesome. Yeah. There's a lot of great people down there. Last year was the first year that I took my kids and really got involved. And 
this year, unfortunately, with everything going on that I've got right now, I can't make it, but my kids are down there right now and they love, you know, learning to throw the hatchets and learning about, you know, the, um, making of, you know, pelts and how all that works and just playing some of the kid games. I mean, they offer a lot of great kid games and it's just a good way for them to kind of get exposed to some of those things. It is. And, uh, I'm doing everything that I can to promote them because, uh, I look at the next generation. I mean, a lot of your, uh, original gentlemen that were out there that were running, they're passing on. So it's, uh, you know, they're trading the torch, so to speak. Uh, and we got to keep that alive. And I think people need to get behind it. And I was surprised when I went to the meeting that they do not reach out for sponsorship and donations. And I told them we got to, we're going to change that because we want to keep this alive for the next generation because these skills are being lost. They're mm-hmm. being lost. And it, what, you know, what better place to do it than the wind river mountain range. It's wild country. We have, uh, I look at any, uh, country. And when I look at that country, I think of climate opposition, um, you know, and it's eco environment, climate and opposition. And what is your environment? What is your climate you're dealing with? What is the opposition? And these guys that were walking these hills, that were climbing these mountains, trapping for furs and utilizing the resources from that. It's, it's a lost art. And to be able to teach and, you know, again, baptize these, this new generation in this, to keep this fire alive, we have to run with the torch now. Yeah. And that's how we feel about hunting and fishing in general, you know, is just kind of our specific segment that we're, we're trying to reach is, you know, if, if we don't teach other people how to do it and mentor people along, it goes away. Well, it's about passing on the tribal knowledge. I mean, mm-hmm. we're all a tribe, at, and I, I, I try to stay, stray away from politics as much as possible. But then again, I also like to dive into a good debate every now and then as well. But to me, it's beautiful to um, – I look at culture as a beautiful thing. Culture, as I said earlier, brings diversity, and diversity is what has created this country. This country is built on immigrants. I mean, you know, we have freedom, and we're losing those freedoms. We have to fight for those freedoms. And if we're giving up our freedoms, then we have nothing to fight with. And so it's not just weapons. It's also the tool of the mind, you know, educating yourself, surrounding yourself by people that are educated. And I always tell people, you know, I've, I've lived an interesting life. I don't know how long I'll make it. You never know. It's, uh, but I'm here, I'm alive. And for me, I want to take in all I can. I'm just a wet behind the ears, bearded old, old boy. (laughs) (laughs) One of my top favorite all time movies is Jeremiah Johnson. Right. (laughs) And all he wanted the the whole first part of the show was a fifty hawking, right? <laughs> How did he finally get a fifty hawking? Oh yeah, stripped it off another dead guy in yeah. the hills. That that who killed Mother Nature? Mother Nature, and that's that's the thing is learning to live with those elements. When you find yourself fighting Mother Nature, you find yourself fighting the elements, then you're not, you're going to die. I mean, there's no ifs ands and buts about it. Uh, but if you can learn to live with it and to be able, you know, it's it's a simple. We I look at a human race as a tribe. We're all just a tribe. It doesn't matter what race, creed, religion, what your background is, what your politics are, where you come from. Um, you know, you could have been born in the middle of the city. You could be born in the backwoods of the country. You know, you might have grew up some like me, coon hunting, running, running coons in the backcountry in the swamps. But it's, again, it's where, where are we going? And that's, that's important. I, I want, oh, my goodness, to be able to go into the backcountry and know that all I need to live is food, fire, water, and shelter. We have completely through, and I'm not against technology. We're using it right now. It's a great way to spread the word. But at the same time, uh, we have to keep those skills. And food, fire, water, and shelter, that's the survival of man. 
Simple as that. Yep. What does it take to achieve that? What does it take to procure that? And also, you know, I call it touching the earth. And I think, um, I think with the new generation, they don't spend enough time. They're so stuck on trends. And I use social media, and I'm not being a hypocrite. I use social media as a lot. But at the same time, as uh, we can't trade our freedom for convenience by selling our souls for trends. So getting them out there, having them touch the earth, taking them on a vision quest and letting them experience something firsthand. And I have people all the time, they're like, well, how can I find out more about myself? And, and I see it marriages. I see marriages, you know, what's the divorce rate now? I'm, I'm scared. Way to too high. And, you know, and my opinion is why the divorce rate is where it is. That's because people don't take time to spend time with herself. They don't even know who they are as an individual. And then they think they're going to get a life mate and they don't even know who they, they are themselves. But if you get yourself in the back country and you're sp- you spend time alone, you're going to face your demons. You're going to face them psychologically, physically, you know, and it's like, it makes you think it makes you slow down and realize I can't be in the pace. And humanistic ideology is for this new generation, it's, it's entrapment. You know, we've, we've lost this way. So I created a doctrine when I first started teaching called metaphorical shape-shifting of the mind. Sounds deeper than what it is. But uh, it's basically I tried to get people away from humanistic thinking. Because, you know, first of all, when you look at indigenous tribes, when they've seen a cutting tool in today's modern world, we think of a cutting tool, we think of a metal blade with some sort of a handle. These guys... The indigenous tribes, they looked at anything they could get a sharp edge, a cutting edge out of, whether it be flint, shirt, quartz, et cetera, but also the fat of a, or the fat wood of a pine tree. I've sharpened those and I've skinned deer with fat wood. I've skinned fish with fat wood. So it's being able to think outside of the box. And so with metaphorical shape shifting in the mind, what I want to do is I teach, I want to teach people, uh, I, I do profiling, I do a lot of tracking, but Think of an animal that you have a lot of respect for and try to think like that animal and get into the mind of that animal. And so when I take people on a vision quest uh, in the backcountry, if I'm teaching a survival class, a primitive skills class, whatever, then I want them to completely wash away their memory of what they think they know. And let's start from ground zero. When you go to the military, what happens? They break you down. Mm-hmm. And then they build that back up. And that's what we have to do. We have to embrace these skills and understand that, yes, we can live with nature. But if you're going to live against nature, you're going to fight it, you're going to die. And I mean, as a human tribe, we've associated all these high level intellectual thoughts to animals. Right. Yeah. And you and I know that animals either thinking about food, thinking about shelter, thinking about water. And then if he's got those three covered, he's, where are my buddies? What's going on? Yeah. And that's that's 1% of his day. The rest of the day is, do I need to run right now? Yeah. Do I need to eat right now? Do I need to sleep right now? Exactly. And, man, uh, you're touching on something. I, I did an interview a while back, and I was talking about diversity of politics with uh, the new generation. And every, we all have a right. We're sovereign individuals. We have a right. and uh, to, But we have to do it peacefully, uh, you know, if I may say we had a protest in Lander a while back, I'm not going to say I agree or disagree with that protest, but I thought it was well organized. I thought it was well put together, and we all have rights. But at the same time, where are these rights coming from? Where, where, are, our, where are our thoughts and our ideologies coming from? Why are we just walking away from principles, and why are we walking away from um, 
the realistic of life when we should all be thinking we're a tribe in a tribe. What do you have? You have hunters, you have your gatherers, you, you have your, your workers, you know, you have your shelter builders. And when, at the end of the day, whether they agree or disagree, it's what you bring to the table and you put on that table. That's what we should be thinking about for the future. I get, I'm very passionate about that. Again, I don't care about race. I don't care about creed. I don't care about religion. We live in a free country. Let's keep it free. But at the same time, let's work together. And how much, how, what better way is to spend and immerse yourself in the wilderness and understand those ways and learn who you are as an individual? Because again, diversity is beautiful. When I think of trees, I don't want a gray area. I like aspens and cottonwoods and <laughs> cedar trees. You know, like oh, yeah. I don't want a genetically modified simple tree and that's all we have left. So let's keep culture alive. <laughs> let's keep that diversity because have, have you read the book yeah. called the giver? I haven't. It's, it's a really good book and the premise is something what you're touching on. But you know, to, to counter that is we need to make sure that when we're expressing our freedoms, we're not taking freedoms away from others. That is so strong, yep. what you just said. Uh, I, again, in one of the last interviews I did, that, that was one of the things I touched on is, you know, let's, where's our mutual respect for yep. each other? You know, if I believe something, if I think something, if it's my opinion, God knows we all have opinions, mm-hmm. why would I want to get a law passed to force you to believe what I believe? And why would you want to get a law passed to force me? It's because we, we, all we know is fighting. All we know is debate, but there's no solution. I believe in collaboration. We have to have collaboration. And how do you break that yoke of bondage of isolation, isolated thoughts, a thought, isolated thought process? Echo chambers. Yeah. It's, yeah, uh, yeah you look at what social media, it's a trend. Sure. So if you're following a trend, all you know is that trend. So you're going to look at a mate based on that trend, not based on a personality. Right. We have to break that. And, and how do we collaborate? How do we come into one place and, and create a council? So I read a study not too long ago about uh, just uh, children in the home and continuing on to hunt and fish, right? If the, uh, if the father in the home was an avid sportsman, 20% of the children moved on to uh, become sportsmen themselves, right? And I believe Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation published this in a few years back, I'll, I'll go do my research yeah. and, and find the exact article. But they found that if the father and the mother in the home hunted and fished and did outdoor activities as a family, 80% of the kids went on to adulthood to be avid sportsmen. And I'll bet that they also found that those families stuck together. Um, because when you when you recreate together, you do things together, you have these memories, these experiences, it, it's kind of like a glue that helps hold you together. And you touched on something I... I definitely want to talk about what we see right now is a lot of people saying my opinion, my rights, my this, my that. It's a very inward focused approach. Whereas what you're talking about is an outward focused approach of how do we all work together, maximizing our strengths for survival, maximizing our, you know, love and care for one another so that we better humanity as a whole, because that's really when you get down to the DNA and everything else, we're all just people. We're humans. When, and when the wolves attack the herd, the whole bison herd turns and, and fights the wolf. Right. Off, right? Absolutely. Exactly. Absolutely. And so we don't sit here and say, well, George over there didn't, didn't, you know, let me have the good blade of grass last week. So yeah. I ain't going to defend his exactly. Yes. And so that's where we need to get to instead of hammering each other about, 
my rights, my this, my that. It's like, okay, let's all put our shields and swords down for a second. And let's talk about this, about how to help each other out. I, I, I want to be a voice. Um, I think with a show, it's, uh, it's given me a lot more exposure, public exposure. And I don't want to just be a face on television, man. Right. Golly. I, I get emotional on that. I don't want to be another face. We have enough of that already. Like, I, I don't want to be another face on television. I want to be a, a voice of change, a voice of a forward movement. And I, I, I put a post up on Facebook. You may or may not have read it about my ideology of where we are yep. now. And, uh, you know, everybody's fighting. They want something for free. Everybody wants something for free. Uh, but how do, how do we, you know, going back to my post, you know, he ain't heavy. He's my brother. Yep. But how do we work with that? You know, yeah, I want to help my brother, but at the same time, my sister. But how do I help them if they're not willing to work yep. to achieve something? So, and I'll give credit to Jordan B. Peterson. I mean, he, he brought up the point that, you know, if you want to change the world, go home and clean your room. Right? <laughs> Starts at home. Start with the bed. Put your, the bed. Make the bed. Put yourself in yeah. order. Make sure you got everything you can do. And then slowly, consensually expand your circle to, you know, does your neighbor need help making their bed or fixing their window? Don't just go marching down the street and tearing down the patriarchy because you think you're you're fixing something well, when goes, your bed isn't made. It goes back to the biblical principle. You know, it says, you know, you got to take the plank out of your own eye before you take the speck out of someone else's. And I love that because it really makes you think when you have something in your life that is obvious to everybody else, it's a plank, right? It's a big deal. And you're not willing to address that, but you're going to go fix this over here. It's like, hold on a second. We got to fix our own house first. We got to take care of our business so that we can be a better part of humanity. And one of the things I love about you and what you're doing is that you're doing the hard work, which is a lost thing in our society. Cause you said convenience has trumped everything. So you're willing to go, you know, put an animal on the ground and do the work to procure the meat for your family. Just like Dave and I, we think that that's a lost art and that's something that is desperately needed to come back. I got goosebumps when he started off with, I I watched that speech uh, with Jordan Mm -hmm. and um, I got goosebumps and then you brought it into a a biblical standard. And, uh, you know, we have to find that moat in our own eye, you know, it's like, where are we at? And, you know, it's, I've got friends that are atheists. Uh, I still believe in God. You know, I tell people all the time, my dad was, my daddy was a preacher and uh, he never took a dime. Everything that he ever he, he ever did, anytime we traveled and he did mission work, it was self-funded. And he wouldn't take – if people – I've literally I've been in numerous places all over the country and out of the country with my father, and people would try to donate money to him, and he wouldn't take it. He said, go go give it to someone who needs it. And I remember being little thinking, we need it, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, what what is he doing? But I've also – I've been with him and another guy named Arnold. I watched my dad uh, – we were in, in town – and um, um, there was a homeless guy. There was a couple of homeless guys right there. And I watched my dad and Arnold both take off their shoes and their coats, and they gave it gave it to these guys, and they went on barefoot. And it was in the winter. And that's 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 what I want to be. That's where I that's where I want to go. And mm-hmm. you know, respecting an animal. I always, anytime I harvest an animal, um, and I, I you know, like in the first episode, you see me taking a bite out of the heart. 
and a lot of people, you know, I catch flack for things. It's like, and then there's going to be your haters and your, and your lovers, you know, and, and all that <laughs> good stuff, but may not be for you and your family, but that's what I do, you know, sure. and, I'm, I'm, and now it's a way for me to honor, but not, not only did I take a bite out of the heart to uh, brace that tradition of taking in that animal strength, but at the same time, I, I give an offering, you know, at the end, um, with that animal and I pray over every animal that I harvest and I utilize every resource from an animal that I harvest. Um, Alaska, you know, you, you harvest an animal in Alaska and you don't take all the meat, you get into trouble. You can oh, get yeah. in some big trouble. And you know, it's like, I'm not against trophy hunting. I'm not against trophy hunting, but at the same time, understand why you're harvesting that trophy. Understand what those resources can do for you because we've become such a spoiled rotten nation. I'm sorry, I'm going to speak frank because we've become a, such a spoiled rotten and um, self-absorbed nation. We feel, uh, we, we feel that, uh, uh, I can't even think of the word right now, but we feel like everybody owes us something. I've and, had, I've had people, you know, attack me for posting you know i take my kids out hunting and this and that it hasn't been vicious yet but you know i just imagine these people on the other end of however they're attacking me with a cheeseburger hanging out of their mouth pointing their finger saying you're a dirty rotten killer i'm going wait a second i i'm man enough to go out and do it on my own you're hiring a hitman so that you don't have any blood on your hands but you're just as guilty exactly life eats life we you're not going to get around that well we i mean we were created to be i mean herbivores carnivores i mean we can it takes both you know i i've i did for two and a, a little over two years and i just started it back i just started back doing some stuff uh with with a diet because i'm, I'm getting ready for some stuff coming up and i, I want i gotta cut some weight I gotta cut some weight to do it you know I'm, i look at it as a fight you know i live it up and then it's time to start training again you know it's time to get physically mentally in, in shape for whatever adventure is in, in front of me, but at the same time, it's like, we become so spoiled. It, I, I, golly, Facebook is amazing. It's uh, for this <laughs> social media is awesome because you, uh, from a survival standpoint, from what I'm teaching on primitive skills, it's so easy to edit a YouTube video and show your skill sets when you're sitting at your lazy boy at your home and you reach over there, move your pot of coffee and whatever else is over to turn the heat up or down. You know, and that's that's the civilization that we live in. We everything is there; it's, it's handed to us. So we're losing those freedoms for conveniences. But how do we get out there? We need to understand where it's coming from. He just said it best. You know, he gets attacked for your your, mm -hmm. your kids, but at the same time, guarantee it. Ninety five plus percent of those people are saying something. They're going to the store grocery store and buying something. They have no clue where it's coming from. And don't don't take me wrong. I mean, I, I'm a conservationist, and I. I but there's, I, I'm not one that wants to roll all the cement up, tear down the electrical plants, and shut the 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 Instagram off. Right. right. I, there's a balance there. There's a balance with everything, and we as human beings need to help contribute to that balance, not dis disequalize it. Right. Well, there's a, there's a there's a Hebrew word called zakal, and it means stand and fight, and that's what we have to do. We have to stand and fight for our freedom and mm -hmm. to continue to do what we're going to do. And again, I don't want to be on face, another face on television. I'm going to fight. I will fight yep. to keep these freedoms alive, to teach this next generation, you know, to keep families together, to keep 
you know, the family out hunting, you know, the family that hunts together stays together. Yeah. Yep. You know, just like the family that prays together stays together. You, you've heard, yep. you've heard that before, but it's, it's, you know, we have to teach them now because, oh my goodness, think about what we have evolved to in the last hundred years. In the last hundred years, what yeah. have we evolved to? It's uh, it's, it's a changing pace. It's going back to 1838 rendezvous. It's being lost. If we don't fight to keep this alive, and it takes money. I'm sorry. It take it takes money to you know because yeah. You know, I was today. I was I, I come in, and I went through the industrial park to get to the 1838 rendezvous area, and I thought this is new trade, started by old trade, in the same spot. That's, in the same spot. Yeah, that's neat. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, people are against furs. And now think yeah. about this. And I've gotten into this debate, and I'll, I will battle anybody in this. But uh, people, I, I was in a lander. We have several colleges in Lander, and it brings in a diverse field of ideology. Yes, and, it is. And uh, I've gotten in more beautiful arguments and debates where I'm like, let's tone this back and let's come up with a solution instead of an argument. Everybody has an argument. What's the solution? Mm-hmm. And uh, we were talking. They were talking. Well, you know, trapping animals, doing this and doing that. I'm like, the reason you're sitting here right now in this restaurant, in this bar, wherever you're at is because a trapper left his family with blood, sweat, and tears, and he fought, and furs is what's created this country. And then ranchers came in, and they've helped build this country and create a civilized area for people to live in. And uh, I raised bison. I ranch bison. But cattle ranching is absolutely amazing. One of my best friends here is a, he's a fourth-generation fourth rancher mm-hmm. here in Wyoming. And we, we talk, we talk so much and I'm like, here's an, I'm an old Georgia boy representing Wyoming, representing the wind river range, uh, doing what I'm doing. And I want to see why more people coming out of Wyoming, that's in Wyoming. Let's support each other. Let's teach, let's work together. Let's utilize these lands and, you know, open up, open up our areas. And when we first come in, you know, we're picking up land and I'm going to be frank for a minute. It's like everybody's like, oh, outsiders shouldn't have this kind of property, et cetera, et cetera. We're not developing. We're trying to reintroduce bison and raise an indigenous species that is phenomenal for the land. I mean, just the, mm-hmm. the molars, the molars on a bison are have seven times the grinding power than a beef cow does. They're indigenous to this land, not against cattle, but bison should be here. Mm-hmm. And I fight every day to keep from reintroducing bison to the Wind River Range, you know, trying to get, trying to keep them in. But <laughs> I like that. I'm working really hard to, to not introduce bison yeah. to the Wind River. They go range. through fences. Yeah, they, they, they do, and and you have to. And people don't realize, you know, people are like, "Oh, I want a bison ranch." Well, you can't just get a bison ranch. First of all, you have to raise them in and inside of a fence. We run electric fencing. I'm not against barbed wire whatsoever, uh, but you have to raise bison. And you have to get them as yearlings weanlings or yearlings and raise them in that fence so they don't go through that fence and uh so it takes you know three years to even start getting any kind of profit out of that animal historically what kind of range did the bison have you know northern montana to wherever they wanted to go yeah texas i mean where'd they go go? as long as they have feed and water they go anywhere brings up i guess the point that i was kind of getting to is so when we started putting up fence before we were putting up barbed wire or excuse me electric fence we were tearing out all the old barbed wire because it creates a trap 
Mm-hmm. And no one understands and knows the trouble that we go, that I go through. The guys that I work with, we go through every year because we keep our, we run uh, about 60%, 65% um, holistic management there. And holistic management does not work completely for cattle ranchers. A lot of cattle ranchers are against it, but with bison, it works. It's, it's been proven. It, it works. So we have to keep that range. So we, we have anywhere from three day pastures to 45 day pastures. And we keep that herd migrating because that's what they do. But at the same time, we have a responsibility first to the wildlife that's there. And how do we do that? Well, the way we do it is once we tear out the old barbed wire fences, all of our fences on the face of the winds, we go in and we drop the top wire and we have switches on every H brace on the fencing. We shut off that area. We literally manually drop that line so it does not stop the migration with the elk, the deer, et cetera, and the antelope because that's our part. That's how we're keeping that migration real. That's, that's what we're doing. We're improving ditches. And we're turning them into pipe because, sorry, that's that's a new thing. You know, pipe, it, you, you, less erosion, mm-hmm. more water control. And I, if I can control where that water's going and where that water's irrigating and face it without water, we ain't got no ranch. We got nothing. We got a high desert. And how do I reintroduce pasture management? How do I go out and make creep where bare ground is and make grass grow there? Well, bison are perfect for that. So we buy our hay from the neighboring ranch because we don't want outside grasses growing on this ranch. So we buy all of our hay from the neighboring ranch and any bare ground that's there, I feed on it. And those bison organically garden that ground. This year, from what the bare ground, I've covered almost every inch of bare ground that I had in the last two years with indigenous hay, indigenous grasses from the neighboring ranch by organically gardening that hay in with the bison. That's a good feeling. We don't have to. We don't have to put out uh, fertilizer. I drag the fields, buy some feces, poop, whatever you want to call it. Is <laughs> amazing for the land, and it spreads it. Uh, one of the things, um, one of the one of the issues with um, thistle. I was looking at thistle, you know, and thistle is one of the most nutritious nutritional plants that's out there. I mean, the early indigenous tribes, they farm thistle and prickly pear. That's why it's out there so much because they use the root to make cakes out of it. And the flower, you can shave off a thistle on the stalk, shave off the spines on it, and it's like a celery. It's like a wild celery, and it's phenomenal for you. So how, did we, how do I get rid of thistle in certain areas that where it's just taking off and going, growing crazy? So I cut back on my mineral. I went out on a four-wheeler with a sprayer, and I sprayed salt with hot water diluted all over the thistle well once the bison realize that they can eat that thistle and their guts like okay this is a lot more nutritional than the grasses that i'm eating they're low on minerals so they want the salt that's on the thistle so i train them to eat the thistle that's awesome which is phenomenal for them and guess what we got rid of the thistle that i wanted to get rid of (laughs) that's crazy solution for everything that's a neat solution that's really cool so I want to get into a little bit here. How how did you get on a show? Like, how does this thing, you know, it's like, you know, I was talking to Brooke about this, like, okay, he's on this show. And I'm like, okay, well, how does a person even get on a show? How does that all work? So if you can kind of share yeah. that. So uh, after my trip, uh, after my trip, uh, riding a horse, uh, attempting to ride a horse across the state of Utah after getting caught in that storm, 
I knew I wanted to teach people what I what I you know what I learned what I grew up on because it, it saved my life it, it saved both me and my friend's life that I was with and uh, I come back and decided to start a survival school I started learning about YouTube and golly I was terrible my videos were just so bad it, I don't even <laughs> see how anybody could watch them <laughs> and then I, I think one of the first things that I did I would do scenario based videos so I would like uh, talk about bullets for gold or chickens for bullets and I uh, would create the scenario where the world is in is come to an end and you know what would I rather have a pound of gold or a pound of 22 bullets I'd uh, rather have the chicken <laughs> <laughs> well and and that's the thing so I created these scenarios where I was trading uh I was trading bullets for chickens or chickens for bullets you know like that and um I got found by uh history channel and uh, went and shot a pilot with them and it come to find out that a couple of the, the gentlemen that I don't make sure I don't say too much here. Uh, so a couple of the gentlemen that um, was there with me, they had a lot of edited videos. They did not know everything that they, they knew. So the pilot kind of fell apart and we spent a good bit of time up in the, the mountains of Colorado. I won't say the, spa, the spot. Uh, it's just because I don't want to delve into that. Lord knows I'll be getting phone calls when I leave here. <laughs> so we get up there and, um, it was an amazing experience. Uh, one of the guys was awesome. It was actually one of the other guys that, that kind of ended things. So they asked me to start doing consulting. So I started consulting in risk mitigation, risk assessment, talent assessment. So when they would pull people off of YouTube or History or, uh, History Channel or the, any other company would pull people off of social media as a whole to bring on their show, that uh, they wanted to understand where they're at. And so I did consulting a lot. Then I started doing some documentaries, et cetera, and doing some stuff with some movies and whatnot. And I turned down over 500, well over 500 television shows uh, to get to where I was at just because I didn't care about just being a face on one episode or doing something because I, I look at television as a, as a teaching tool. Like right now, what we're talking about, we're using this podcast as, sure. as a teaching tool. And so uh, History Channel reached, Mountain Men reached out to me uh, quite a bit ago and um, we got to talking and I'm like, yeah, this is, this is great. So we started, we started working together, started started filming and they were flipping out because it's you don't have to create drama when when you're when you're in the back country now drama happens every day i mean it was you know but it's learning how to mitigate around that you know and they fell in love and it's like oh my goodness this, this is wild country i mean we have every predator almost in north america in these mountains yes we do yeah, that was one of the questions that people, when they found out we were going to ask you, you know, questions and talk about this, one of the yeah. questions was, you know, is is this show hyped, you know, or is it like real stuff that you guys are actually dealing with? Because I've, I've saw some of the earlier episodes from like, I don't know, five, six years ago when I was traveling, you know, I'd be in a hotel and see yeah. the show. Um, so I always kind of wondered that too. So can you talk about that a little bit about how that works? It's real. It's just real. What we're doing is, I mean, it's reality television. Yep. It's uh, and there's a lot of you know I've worked. Matter of fact, uh, I own Eco Survival Group and Four Wind Survival School, and so I've brought in a lot of my co-instructors and partnered instructors have been on shows such as Naked and Afraid and Alone and a lot of the and they're phenomenal. You know I can't speak. Uh, I, I'll, I'll give you an incident. A long time ago, I did some consult, consulting for a show, and uh, I was in L.A. They flew me to LA. It was, it was interesting. It was a, 
heck of a culture shock. It was like with every all the buildings and stuff. I was like, man, you old bearded boy in L.A. And I'm like, man, it, this is all right. I, it takes me back to Chris Ledoux. This ain't no place for a country boy. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> his song. But I was sitting there, and uh, so I'm going through. I, you know, we're running psych. They're running psyche tests for everyone to make sure we're not bringing on a serial killer on the show, et cetera, You know. And it comes down to the skill set. And so I pick out of uh, 25 people, I picked uh, seven people who their skills were next level. I mean, like, I'm like, man, they're awesome. They cut them. They immediately cut them because they didn't want them smoothing it. Now, I'm not, I'll, you know, I'm not going to say the show, but th- this has been several, several years ago. And I told them straight up then that uh, it wasn't, and it didn't last more than one season. A mountain man has been on. I'm in. We're in the ninth season, Nine, yep. and uh, the guys are amazing. These guys, you know, it takes sacrifice. I see all these memes on social media. It'll be a little cabin, you know, in a, just a picturesque uh, setting, and they're like, "Would you live here for a million dollars without a cell phone or something?" You know, and I'm like, "It's all bull crap and malarkey until you do it." You either have you're either going to love it or you're going to absolutely hate it. Homesteading's tough, man. It's uh, there's so many uh, there's so many variables and there's so many battles that you deal with. And in Georgia, where I was at in Georgia, I'll dive into this a little bit. In Georgia, where I homesteaded in Georgia, so I owned 17 acres, built a, a self a log cabin, raised a family there. And um, I was born at home, by the way. Uh, my daughter was born at home. And uh, I delivered her. Uh, scariest thing I've ever done in my life. Um, just me, me, uh, me the, the wife, and my mama. And um, it costs $72.63 to have a baby at home. And it can be done. It's also scary. And I'm not against doctors. <laughs> Golly, we're not, I'm definitely not against doctors. We need them. But if you're willing to do that, guess what? you got to make sacrifices. you got to prepare for it because it's going to be a fight. And that's homesteading in general. I looked at, um, I was like, hey, I was born at home. Like, you know, I live this lifestyle, but can I deliver a baby? You know, what, what if? And that's a scary situation. That's a very scary situation. So we talked about, you know, how I like to do the expedition style hunts, yep. right? I've done a couple where the plane drops me off and you step off the float of that plane and it's, there's a feeling when that plane takes off of the lake and you can no longer really see it. You can hear it a little bit. There's just a sinking feeling of now I'm, I mean, this just got real right now. It's on right? like Donkey Kong. Yeah. <laughs> and I was talking to a guy just the other day, you know, I really have, you know, I, I can't live in a socialistic society because there's two reasons. I'm addicted to when I walk to my sink and turn that little silver knob, yep. water comes falling out. It's, it's an amazing thing that I don't have to go to the stream and haul my water for the day. Oh, yeah. And toilet paper sure is a nice thing. If you've ever run out of that stuff, <laughs> oh, it ain't a great day, and my friend. Thank goodness for Mullen. Uh, I call Mullen the toilet paper of the woods, you know. Uh, Mullen is an amazing plant. I've utilized it for a lot of different things. But it's uh, that sinking feeling is reality. Yep. And it takes you to a new place. It's uh, self-reliance. And to be, a, it's, a, it's, it's a euphoric, euphoria feeling. I call it touching the earth because you're, you're like, it's home. Like I like to dabble and play there, but man, living there all year long, hauling water, you're, oh, you're a tough guy. It's, it's, <laughs> it's tough. Uh, hauling water sucks, man. Yeah. I mean, there, there's no ifs, ands, and buts about it. And I, talking about water, you're talking about, you know, carrying. Here's a, a little survival hack for someone or a tip. We'll call it the survival tip of the, of the show. Um, 
Yeah, I see a lot of people, you know, taking plastic containers up with them that don't have any water filtration system in that plastic container. And I recommend uh, if you're going to have a, uh, if you're going to take a container in the woods with you to haul water, have a stainless steel container because a stainless steel container can, containers are one of the hardest things to make. Containers and cordage is the most difficult to recreate in a natural setting. Uh, it's, it's very tough. And to be able to have a stainless steel container, it's like I can boil that water for 15 minutes, you know, and or what, or depending on how you're boiling it, you know, it's going to sometimes you can get it boil four to five minutes, depending on how you're boiling it. Uh, but once you get a rollover boil, I let that sit for 15 seconds. Um, and once I know that the, it's, it's pure, that water's pure and that's tough, but stainless steel container is a multifunctional piece of kit. And that's what, when I think kit mentality that's that's what I'm going to carry. If you're going to carry a plastic container, then you need to have some sort of filtration straw that will filter out Giardia and Cryptosporidium. Um, it's it's important, and uh, you know it's it's the simple things uh, in life. You know whether you're a hiker, backpacker, cyclist, climber, whatever. There's lightweight stuff with modern technology. You know it doesn't add a lot of weight, but it could save your life. Flint and steel is nice, but you know what's better. A Bic lighter, and even better is a Zippo, my friend. Uh, <laughs> the wind ain't blowing yeah. that Zippo out. Yeah, you know what? It's uh, uh, I love. I'm always typically got a, a Bic lighter on me. Um, I also think the same thing when I think of a combustion device for making a fire. I want 1095 high carbon steel on my knife if it comes down to flint and steel. However, Bic lighter is great, but you get a wet you get situation. Wet. You get wind. Guess what? You're out of luck. So I, I pack a, a small stove with fuel with yep. a small metal, you yep. know, pot for all those same reasons. But we talked with Buck Tilton way back in the day, and we asked him what the most important piece of survival gear is. And he said, it's your mind, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. A- absolutely. Well, psychology of survival. I've seen guys, I've taken guys out on my vision quest courses, and it's difficult. I mean, it's a knife only for seven days. And depending on the weather we're in, you have to procure your procure food fire water and shelter with just that knife so you're making cordage then you're making cordage absolutely that's not fun and you can utilize anything that's on your person but you're not allowed to take certain things with you to be able to make it easier on you i'm taking a 500 foot piece of paracord (laughs) belt my friend (laughs) i'm not making rope um oh man i uh i wear a belt a lot um and uh, with a, a company that's awesome, uh, Wazoo Survival, they, we've worked together and done a lot of things. And they have a belt that's amazing. And, like, literally, you can put it on. you got everything in it that you want to carry. That's awesome. It's like if you can have food, fire, water, shelter, and a belt, why wouldn't you have it? Right. But at the same time, it goes back to the mind. Horace Kephart, the more we carry on our run, the less we carry on our backs. So, it, and I tell everyone, you know, I teach primitive friction fire. I, I personally stray away from teaching hand drill. Because your average individual that's taking a course is not going to do hand drill every day. And it, it takes calluses. I mean, and you, the last thing you want is to be in a survival situation or turn a survival situation into a crisis situation uh, doing hand drill. I'm not against hand drill. It's beautiful. And a lot of people like it better than bow drill because they do it every day uh, because it cuts out cordage. You don't need cordage to do it. But at the same time, it's, you know, what what is – um, rational, you know, as a wilderness elk hunter, if I need a fire, right. When I need a fire, we're, we're on that borderline from survival to crisis. Right? Exactly. I get my dry Bic lighter out of my backpack. Yep. I find some dry tinder two minutes later. 
I have fire. You I'm got, not messing around in dr- the snow. Dry tinder's easy. It, it's there. It's there if you, you know where to, to look. And, you know, again, it goes back to metaphorical shape-shifting in the mind. So if I'm out there and I've got snow cover, if it's raining, where is a rat going to build its nest in the hollow of a tree? What does that mean? Dry tender. Mm-hmm. And, if, and I tell everyone, if I find myself having to do a friction or a primitive fire in a, in a survival situation, I have screwed up in so many different ways because I was not prepared when I went on that trip. And that, that, one of the things I think a friend of mine, Dale Stewart, says it best, um, he was an explorer with National Geographic. Uh, this guy's done this amazing, amazing, amazing things. But um, he, Dale talks about what is an adventurer? An adventurer is a person that goes out on a, on a adventure, not prepared for what they're going to face. But when you look at an explorer, an explorer is a person who's prepared in mind, body, and with kit mentality. And they're going out to face an adventure, but they're prepared to deal with what they have. I want to be an explorer that has adventure. Sure. I want to be prepared. That's awesome. Yeah. What is... <laughs> This is this is one that came up. So I watched season nine, episode one, and episode three mm-hmm. leading up to this, just because I wanted to get an idea yeah, yeah. of you know what what you're talking about and what you're what you're doing on the show. Yeah. Uh, season. So I think it was episode three. You have a a bison that gets out and yes. makes his way into the hills or her into yes. the hills, and then you have a wolf issue yes. i was wondering if you could just kind of tell that story a little bit of what happened and um, how it was that went chaos down. it was chaos um i've i've i'm not against wolves i'm gonna say that first i'm not against wolves i'm not against any predator i'm not gonna go out picking a, i'm not there to pick a fight with them you know oh, let's let's learn to live together uh, in a mutual respect i'm not gonna go into their den and i'm not gonna pull one of their babies out and murder it and i'm not gonna allow them to come on my uh, my place where I manage on the ranch and murder something of mine, not happening. Um, it was chaotic. It got up, it got trapped. And what people don't understand about bison is bison are wild just cause you got a herd in a fence. I mean, they're literally three wires away from free, away from freedom. And I've said this so many times, as I said it earlier, the last thing I want to do is reintroduce bison to the wind river mountain range because there went off, there went my job. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I have to put taters on the table and with bison, it's nice to put a piece of meat on the table. Uh, but yes, it got out and, uh, got hemmed up in there and wolves came in. Um, and it was, it was chaos. And I'll tell you, if you've ever hunted bison, I'm sure you've done some guiding camera crew don't help at all skinning a bison in that situation is a hairy situation it's tough enough because it wears you out mentally and physically um i i'm trying to weigh my words because i'm like under nda you know non-disclosure agreement um but the camera crews don't help at all out at all and and there's times i'm gonna be honest there's times i'm like Help me, please. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and you, you skin a bison, and you—I you, was doing everything I could to harvest that meat and, and keep that meat because so it's not a complete loss. And then you take a dried bull hide, and this was a younger bull, but you take a, a dry uh, or a wet bull hide after you've done all that work and trying to roll it up and then put it up on your horse that has never carried a bison, and I've, I've never built a travoy before. 
you know, it's like you hear tell it and you're out there looking for the spice and you can only carry so much on a horse. I mean, it is what it is, you know, and yet everybody's like, yeah, there's a million ways that you, I could have, could have done it. But, uh, I made a Travoy. I had to desensitize my horse on the spot. Very, very, very difficult. And the episode, I thought, I thought it did a really well, a really good job of portraying what went down, but I'm like, Oh my goodness you know, to desensitize that horse, to take that travoy because you're literally putting pressure on both, both back uh, and horses. They don't, they don't work good with pressure, you know, and then you add in a, a dead animal and with hundreds of literally hundreds, I'm not saying there's hundreds of wolves, but hundreds of wolf tracks around there. Oh, and you hear them how, you know, you hearing them how, and then sleeping on it. It's kind of like going up in back country and this man knows and you're sleeping on that. You don't sleep much knowing that there's something there. Yeah, I'm strapped up. I've got my pistols with me. I carried, uh, and I've heard, oh, my goodness, I've heard so many positive and negative comments about what I carry. But uh, I used to carry a 454 Casul on my side and uh, and a cross draw. And, but it was a five shot, and it's a single action. You know, it's single action. So that's more to think about in a crisis situation. And with situational awareness, the last thing I want to be dealing with is, a crisis situation, something charging me and having to remember to pull back a hammer. Mm-hmm. So I transitioned to a uh, Glock 10 millimeter. I carry it in a drop holster that I make on my side, a leather drop holster. I'd never seen a, a leather drop holster before. Uh, I'm not in a Kydex too much because Kydex makes so much noise when you're out there. And so I made this leather holster. So I, when I'm in the bear country, I'm carrying a Glock 10, mil, 10 millimeter on my hit, um, drop holster, Glock 9 on my belt and of course my rifle and then I, I run buffalo boar rounds through my uh through through because and you know i've i've cut out now i've got 15 rounds with both pistols that i don't have to think about and if i'm running one hot then i've got 16 all i got to do is line up and pull the trigger and i train a lot too and i i shoot an average of 150 to 300 rounds a week i train consistently um, not only for, you know, bear country, but also for self-defense if, if something came down to it, because the reality is I've been robbed three times. And one of those times I, w- I actually, um, was in Georgia and someone broke into my house and I've come out alive and to the better on all three situations. So I'm speaking from experience. The less you have to think about during that crisis situation is going to build your, your odds are going to climb. They're going to go up, 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 up. So it's being prepared. And I see people and don't do this. I mean, do this, but don't do this. If you're going to buy a gun, if you're going to be hunting where there's grizzly bears, uh, specifically grizzlies, you know, black bears, I've been charged by black bears numerous times. I just got charged by a black bear two weeks ago. Um, and luckily it, it turned out fine. Uh, everything was good. Didn't have to fire a shot. Yeah, the first one was a false charge. The second one was a full-on charge. Um, and it was, there was a cub cub involved. And I was wrong place, wrong time. And uh, I was able to mitigate around that. But if you're going to go out and you're going to buy a pistol, I see this a lot. People go to the store, they buy a bear gun, and they never shoot it. They never train with it. How in the heck do you think you're going to be mm-hmm. prepared to have a full-on running, you know, several hundred-pound animal running at you full tilt and be ready to, to do that if you're not training. So if you're going to spend the money to buy a sidearm, train with it. Educate educate yourself with that weapon. Have some trigger and muzzle discipline. Yeah, oh, my goodness, yes. It's uh, because, first of all, you're either going to shoot yourself, and you may never even get mauled. 
You know, you're going to, mm-hmm. and if there's someone else around you, then your likelihood of you shooting them, it's big. And situational awareness is everything. I teach a lot of situational awareness classes in the past and during those, you know, with a sidearm. And one of those things that I deal with is, uh, you know, if, all right, let's say you got a guy that's, uh, if I've got a guy that's coming up and I'm with my family and he's going to rob me, first thing I'm going to do, I need to create space not with myself and the attacker, but I want to create space for me and my family. So if I can somehow talk to that individual who's robbing me or attempting to rob me, whatever, and work my and pivot left, if my family's on my right, I want to pivot left and get them out of that equation. I want to separate myself from them because then I'm minimizing that threat with them and then it's only me so it's situational awareness is everything so if you're in grizzly bear country and you're seeing fresh scat on the ground if you're seeing fresh tracks on the ground and you're staying there in that area just because it's a great place to hunt then guess what your risk is going to go up by the minute and more than likely that animal already has eyes on you create space move go to another area i don't care how you know and if, if you're in an area where there's just bear scat everywhere then be ready to deal with it. So that takes training. Mm-hmm. And, you know, with the military, guys that train every day, what do you think, if they're doing 100% training, what do you think they're, the percentage rate of the reaction of the training is going to come to a head during a crisis situation? How? What's the percentage you, you would think? Gosh, I don't know. Let's say 55 60%. I don't know. So your guys – that are battling every day. I say every day. Let's say a guy that's in the military that's uh, taking fire and that's training every day. They're going to be at 10% of that training. Now let's put a civilian into that. (laughs) What do you think they're going to be at? Every one of my grizzly bear uh, charges has resulted in me standing there with my mouth cocked open. Yeah. Thankfully they've been some false charges and we've been able to create some space, but you know, back to your pistols, I, I've had the 44 Smith & Wesson, yep. and I upgraded to a 10mm because I shoot it better, it carries more rounds, and I don't have to think about it as much. Exactly. And another thing, too, is if you can upgrade sights, I'm fixing to upgrade some of my uh, my sights on on my 10mm and my Glock, uh, because I want to be able to see. I don't know what the lighting is going to be like. You know, so it's, again, it's like, how can, once I've trained that with that weapon enough that I understand that weapon and I'm comfortable with that weapon, then how can I maximize my training and graduate up? And so, you know, it's like, I shoot all the time. I'm, I'm, you know, I've gotten lucky with some shots. Um, I've taken a lot of coyotes with my, with my nine millimeter and, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm been studying sites for a while and I'm not going to name the one I'm going to be getting while I just got. Uh, but and I'm actually thinking about doing a holographic site on my Glock 10, just because uh, there's such a change. I, you know, the nines on me every day, and I beat the heck out of it. Uh, but there's such a change, and no matter how much you're shooting, it's still trying to remember that 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 change. And so it's like the less that I need to think about and do again, if I can throw a holographic side on something, boom. And I've trained, then that's, it's making that situation better. So I'm actually thinking about uh, going to a holographic side on my Glock 10. And I'm not training and, and, you know, excited about the prospect of having to fend myself against a grizzly bear. But at the same point in time, when I drove here today, I left my house that has a fire extinguisher in it and I have car insurance on my car. You know, I don't want to use that car insurance. I don't want to use that fire extinguisher. I don't want to use that pistol, but at some point in time, there's, you know, 
I'm hunting where we're seeing tracks and scat yeah. every day. You're, and you took the words out of my mouth. Every family out there has vehicle insurance. More than likely, you, you probably got house insurance. You may have health insurance. But you're going to go out and you're going to buy a $500 to $1,000 pistol that you've never shot before and think you're going to walk into a situation and you're feeling all confident and it's all good until you got a bear looking at you and coming at you. And, again, if you're not training – and it's still the I've talked to a couple of guys, you know, if that bear comes in at a 90 degree or even worse, 120 degree from yes. behind me, by the time I switch my focus and attention, because as, as a predator, my focus is in front of me, right? Right. By the time I even notice there's a noise or move or turn my head, that bear's on you. It's, it's two seconds. Yeah, it's two it's, seconds. And it's amazing how fast it happens. Oh, they're, they're crazy, crazy fast. And it's scary. Like it, it, in your adrenaline dumps, dealing with that, that, that adrenaline dump takes you to a whole new level. And afterwards you're like, wow, like did, did that just happen? Like, and then you, you realize how blessed you are <laughs> that you, either you didn't have to shoot that animal, you know, and it's like, but, uh, and I'm not, I won't, unless you guys want to get into it, but that's, you know, the grizzly bears here have no respect for human beings. Yep. We, we we can refer you back to Dan Thompson's episode yeah, about yeah. grizzly bears, and, but I'll, I'll you know my caveat is I want them to be on the landscape and intact for my grandkids. Absolutely, but I want them to be managed. Well, animals we humans have to be managed. That's why we have that's why we have good laws. We have a lot of bad laws too, you know. But there's still laws, so you know we have to abide by them. But at the same time, it's uh, when I when I. It, with my uh, coalition, Eco Survival Group, uh, Environment, Climate, and Opposition, one of the first oppositions I always talk about is the opposition of ourself. And what's our mentality? What's our what's our training levels at? How can we better prepare ourselves to face any crisis situation? Because yeah, I mean, the reality of it is, if you're not an avid outdoorsman, let's just say that you're a family, you go to the beach once a year. You know, you have more chance of, of getting. A, attacked by a shark than you do falling mm-hmm. into a survival situation but you get guys like you guys me and you, uh, other people that are avid outdoorsmen uh, they may you know be a climber or whatever by cyclist etc cetera, etc cetera. then there's odds are constantly climbing so why not be prepared for the situation that you're going to face and minimize that threat well i think of timothy treadwell or mcallister right? oh both of those situations, if you look at the moral of those stories, neither one of those guys were prepared and were really training and ready for the situations they put themselves in. Yeah. And again, going the opposition is ourself. You know, how can we minimize the opposition against ourself? And the crisis training is, is beautiful. And there's so many people, you know, that are against it. There's a lot of people that are against it. They're like, well, I shouldn't have to go do this and do that and do that. It's because you live in a protected society where you don't put yourself out there enough. And what I've seen is, me personally, my mental quit spot is at about 40% of my capabilities, Yeah. right? When I start pushing that boundary, I have 60% more I can physically do, but my mind's like, yeah, we got to quit this. Yeah, well, and it's knowing when to say no. Knowing when to say no and knowing when to say yes. And, again, we how, how do we create? God, we're humans. We're not heroes. Some people are heroes. <laughs> But, you know, we, we live in such a, um, a lavish society. We have so many. God, America is great. I mean, really, America is really great. Uh, I can tell you ice is a, a wonderful thing in your drink. Oh, man. It, and that's the thing. I was like, who doesn't? Just because I'm a mountain man doesn't mean I, 
don't want to go to town and then, you know, enjoy a nice dinner or something like that. You know, if people, oh man, I've, I, I've gotten so much stuff. You would not believe some of the comments that I get and I'm dumb enough to respond to them sometimes. Um, <laughs> I'm dumb enough to respond to them and, but I'm, I'm learning, I'm learning to say no. You know, it's, I have the same issue with myself. I ain't perfect by a long shot. I'm a human being. Of course I'm not perfect, but at the same time, it's, uh, what is what what is a mountain man? You know, mm-hmm. it's someone who it loves the wilderness and really truly immerses himself into that lifestyle. And I don't care if you're a hundred million miles out in the middle of nowhere or you live twenty minutes from your store. The and, and I say that with training. I have so many people. They're like, "Well, where do I need to go to train? Train? Start training in your garage or your back door, your well, backyard." Let, let's be honest. Six hundred years ago, what was a mountain man? We all were mountain men. There was, you know, these yes. skills, these quote unquote primitive skills, they were advanced skills back then. <laughs> I, I did an interview, I won't say who, but I did an interview uh, one time and uh, they asked me how I compared to uh, the mountain men of old. And I'll rephrase some of the words that I, I said. There's no comparison. I mean, I live this stuff every day, and I grew up all completely different than most most of society did as a 35 year old man. Um, but at the same time, I'm like these guys. When you're, you know, you've been you've been there. I've, I've, I don't know what the longest you spent solo, but the longest I've spent solo was a little over well over a little over 45 days, and it takes you to a new place. And but. To me, their mentality, um, and I will say this, and it's going to sound like I'm being condescending, but I'm not at all. Their mentality was different because we have town. We can get in a vehicle and go to town and be in the town and, you know, anywhere from 10 minutes to an hour, right? Typically, if you, if you live somewhere, maximize an hour, unless you're just in the middle of nowhere. But you still have a way of travel. So these guys are relying on a horse and I've worked horses my whole life. They're not always 100% reliable, right? <laughs> so you get these, but these, but these guys, they grew up like that. So their mentality was they were used to that lifestyle of getting to the place where they were going, right? So they didn't have town maybe right there. So their mentality was different. They had a stronger mentality. And so we can't compare ourselves to those guys uh, because we live in a different world. I've said this totally before. We've, we've gone soft. We we are soft. Oh, I deal with myself today, like every day. I think of a new way. How can I um, torture myself more in, in certain certain things? Because uh, I mean, what what is what, what, a pain is just weakness leaving the body. As pain is weakness leaving the mind, and I like to push myself to new limits because it pushes me to as a thinker. You know, again, just because I'm on a mountain and on a show, yes, I'm a hundred percent confident in everything that I do. I, I've done it. I'm walking up into the back country. I'm I'm comfortable there just as much as I'm comfortable at home. But it's still nice to have that shelter, that stable shelter. You know, it's still nice if you want ice. It's still nice to, to be able to to have a grocery from the grocery <laughs> store. Who doesn't like a Snickers bar every now and then? Yeah. You don't think that those guys back then had access to a Snickers bar? Why in the heck did they come to the rendezvous? Right. And I'm gonna tell you right now, trade for chocolate. 
with all due respect to rendezvous, <laughs> rendezvous back then were a lot wilder than they are now, boys. I can promise you that. We want to sugarcoat things and we want to create this whole facade in our mind that the what what you know these guys were coming if they you know what if they would have had a town a bar or whatever restaurant to go to you don't think that they would have went to that oh, yeah. but also the rendezvous you know the 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 fur trading company that set that up that was a smart businessman because oh. he he brought that wagon with all the supplies good food he brought money too right yes and he would give the trappers money for the furs and then they turn around and go well I want new guns and yeah. candy and some more traps and so the the fur com- trading company was leaving with all the furs and all the money that he brought oh supply and demand <laughs> oh, and yeah. they were marketed up 10 to 20 times of what it was the same thing that the stores are doing now well if you lost your knife while you're trapping are you going to buy a new knife or are you just going to keep going around flint napping exactly like you would get your you would improvise until you could get get to that knife it's uh kit carson uh, i'm reading a, uh, a book about kit carson and uh one of the guys that he had actually adopted was talking about the knives back then cost 10 cents 10 cents to make a knife and they would trade for a bell of beaver pelt and it's a known fact that the guys and i'm not going to say the percentage because a lot of people are going to want to debate this on social media and I don't, I have already have enough you know, stuff to deal with on there as well. But the majority, I'll, I'll use the word, the word majority, majority of the guys that went to those rendezvous left in debt due to the pleasures of life. Yep. And you know, for, for those of you out here who haven't done it, I've round stretched a beaver, right? Hoop stretched them and skinned Ooh. them and fleshed them. You know, there, that's not a five minute process to get that done right and get that pelt put up. Well, I, I enjoy the whole mentality or facade of an uh, individual sitting in their lazy boy at home, and uh, they just go crazy over it. Like, yeah, I love beaver tail, you know. Like, if I had a chance to eat a beaver tail, you put a ribeye steak in front of me, what do you think I'm going to go after? Ribeye. Yes. I'm going to have trout. <laughs> <laughs> and, but, you know, it's, and that's not being condescending. It's I'm talking right. reality. So we can't compare ourselves to that. But at the same time, yeah, I'm doing the exact same stuff that they were doing just on a different level. And I call myself one of my hashtags, modern day mountain man and hashtag uh, nature's wild child, because I can't get that satisfaction anywhere else than other than that back country, that back country. When I'm up there, that what you're talking about, that sinking feeling when everything just leaves and you're just have to be self-reliant. We don't think enough as a society. We're not forced to think enough. We don't put ourselves. And I think, this sounds terrible. Nobody do this, by the way, but do it. Uh, put yourself in a situation where it makes you think because it's going to help you. Learn to improvise. Well, I've talked about hierarchies of fun, right? And if you go on a roller coaster with your family, while you're going down the, the drop, it's like, woo. But the next day, I, I don't go, how awesome was that roller coaster, right? right? And I've heard this said several other ways, but when I was on that doll sheep hunt in Alaska and we had to sidewash out away from our one-man tent oh. and we split a mountain house between three guys and the next morning we had some trail mix and beef jerky yeah. and then we killed a couple sheep and loaded it up and hiked them out of the mountains on our backs, that to me is the epitome of fun. Now, while I was doing it, our water froze, I burned the fins off the bottom of the jet boil, you know, we had some major issues. Yeah in there you know and the clay cave we found to sleep in had moss and water dripping off the back so all night i didn't have quite the gear and there was no 
right dunnage to make a bed out of it was just lay on the moss so you know those harder lessons you learn once you learn them you know that that hierarchy of fun i want to go back and do that again and be exposed to that again you know i've uh you're talking about the stove i'm a glutton for punishment i've never used a uh, gas stove and i'm like man i should try this sometime but i'm a glutton for punishment because i like to keep myself uh somewhat you know i'm out there to train for me for me May not be for anybody else, but when I'm out there, I'm like, I want to keep my, I want to, if you, one of my quotes is, if you hone your skills, you'll own your skills. And what better way is to keep those skill sets on, on par. And at home, um, this is, this is legit. Come to my house. I'll show it, show it to you. Um, but at home I sleep on, I call it a Buffalo Pedic. I sleep on a bison hide every night. Uh, that's, that's one of my, just, it's what I love. It's what I do. You know, it may not be for everything, but my Buffalo Pedic, I like it. I t- I'll take it. You know, it's it's just for it's just me. It's just because I'm I'm a, I'm weird. I'm crazy. You know, it's like my mindset is, what is this biblical to be in this world but not of this world? Yep, yep. You know, and uh, that's that's what that's where I want to be. I want to keep myself in that situation because, for me, first of all, I owe not not only to a responsibility for myself, but I'm a teacher. I'm an instructor. I don't believe there's no such thing as an expert. I've actually told any network, any any company I've ever worked with, don't call me an expert because an X is something that's in, been in the past, and we won't go to the other part. But it's uh, but I, I'm not. A, I'm a hunter gatherer. That's what I am. I'm, I'm a mountain man. I'm, I wear a cowboy hat. I've ridden broncs and jumped on a few bulls. I sucked at bulls, by the way. But. Uh, I'm just a mountain man. I just, I, that's what I like. And to me, I, I owe it a responsibility because of what I represent. Like, and I'm proud of it. I'm humbled by it. It's, uh, it brings such a, hum, a hum, humility for me uh, because I'm an instructor in what I teach and what I'm teaching people on a television screen. And I'm giving someone an experience that they may work a nine to five job. You know, they may not get a chance. They may not have the mental capacity or the physical capacity or the uh financial capacity to be able and go do some of the things i do but i owe a responsibility to the viewers to my students and to myself and my family to keep those skills intact and if i allow this is my thinking if i allow myself to use technology then i'm going against what i personally believe in on myself and you mean you're not going to step on the helicopter after filming and fly down to the hotel and no, sit in the we, lobby? We don't. Uh, we don't. We don't actually. Have, we haven't used any kind of helicopters like that. Uh, matter of fact, uh, when I got the bison, I would have loved to have a helicopter to, to bring it out. <laughs> but then the viewers would have been sad, you know. But I mean, a travoy on a horse pulling several hundred pounds of meat and hide going eight miles is not easy. Yeah, it's it's really not easy, and it's like. I would have loved to have a helicopter <laughs> to, get to come in and you rescue rescue me. I'm like, please rescue me. I actually, uh, I'll give you a little insider. Um, I was so physically drained from that episode, that from that day on that episode. I was so physically drained. It took every ounce of energy that I had to get that wet hide on that horse. I mean, the, that night. Uh, it's again, you know, sleeping out there in that element with thinking. And, and if you guys are thinking he's being a wimp, you know, when, when I <laughs> shot my Those buffalo, it, you know, with hide and horns and it, it was well over a hundred pounds. Oh, it's, it's tough. It's, it's tough. And, uh, but it's, it's also surreal too. And, you know, the, and I, I think the biggest thing mentally that I battled 
was I was so physically just like I was drained from everything. It was like, okay, now I got to go home. Now I've got to, and a horse will drive you nuts. And uh, there's one of the scenes, and God, this is, is as real as real can get. Um, I made a mistake. Yes, I made a mistake. I didn't bring my chest harness on my horse when I left. I didn't know what I was looking. I didn't know what I was going to be doing. And dragging a travoy with no chest harness, what's going to happen? That saddle's going to slide back. Yeah, the saddle's going to slide back. And then what also happens, your horse is losing weight. They're losing weight because they're eat, she, she's grazing, but not at the workload that we're doing is a lot more. Now I'm going to have people sending me messages that, uh, oh, you're, 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 you're. Well, back to your skills. I mean, Patrick and I goal is to inspire somebody that, you know, maybe they'll, they, they've never gone fishing. So they're going to yeah. get a fishing pole and go to the local pond and take their kid fishing for the yeah. first time. And maybe, maybe it can inspire somebody to do another, do their first 14 day wilderness sheep hunt. Right. You know, um, let, I, I'm an advocate of hunting. Let's, let's get the family out hunting. Let's get the kids out hunting. Let's get them out fishing. Let's give them that experience. Uh, I teach a class back in Georgia that I'm going to be bringing out here called Fly on the Fly, where I take people out and we, we make primitive cordage. And it's more of a style of almost like a popper. I, I, you really couldn't, I guess, call it fly fishing. Um, but it's Fly on the Fly where we're utilizing every resource around us to catch a fish. And the beautiful thing about that is, is when you're doing that, it doesn't matter how big that fish is. Once you harvest that and you catch that fish, it's amazing. And back in Georgia, I used lemon trees for hooks a lot and I would use yucca to make my cordage out of and I've numerous times found a dead animal broke it broke a bone and one of the animals used a morrow and coat the line with that or find some fat you know in a stinky dead carcass and use that to waterproof that line and, and help it to float and help that cordage to stay together um, but once you harvest you know you catch it, that fish primitively it takes you to another you, you're like yes I love hooks yes I love fishing string get out there and experience it one, one last thing. I'm going to go back to this real quick. Um, when that saddle slid back and I was wore out, I was tired, I was, thank goodness my horse was so tired at that point in time, that girth slid all the way back on her. And I'm like, I can't take all this apart now. I don't have time to. And the first thing I thought about was like, okay, I'm going forward and it slid back. Let me try to back her up. And when I backed her up, it slid back forward because the poles worked into the ground and it pushed the saddle back up. I was able to tighten it up. I was able to make it home. So yeah. it, it was Chest beautiful. colors. So I get goosebumps talking about yeah. this stuff because it's like, whoa. I'm like, ah. You gave my kids goosebumps on that episode. My So my, my kiddos, they were watching it with me. And um, so my daughters, they were, I will, I will tell you, they were kind of just like sitting there totally focused i bet they had goosebumps too because when you there's the scene where you have this buffalo hide and you're laying on it and you're going to sleep and you got your pistol on your chest they're like dad is something going to happen to him i'm like i don't know i was like and that's the thing like you don't know in that kind of situation what's going to happen and they said well why why don't they have why doesn't he have someone helping him you know with the film crew i was like well because i can't do that and so anyway (laughs) They, they were really engaged in the show, and it gave them an appreciation. But, man, I'll tell you, they were very worried about you. They were like, Good. okay, I was what happens to Josh? <laughs> <laughs> so it was kind of cool because they were like, oh, is he going to be okay? I was like, I'm pretty sure because uh, he's coming on the show with me. So he must have been all right. <laughs> and they don't, you know, they're like, 
what we're doing is a day-to-day activity. I don't know how many times, uh, oh, just last, uh, a week and a half ago, I had a hundred bison break out and they, um, they went up and over the mountain. Oh man. And I'm like, I've got them. They, they will follow a cake wagon as you guys see, but I couldn't use the truck that my ranch truck, the old ranch truck I always used on the show. I had it. I think goodness for my Jeep. But that I, and I, I took it to some places I shouldn't have took. I mean, because I was I thought I was going to flip numerous times, and I got cake in the wagon, and they seen it, and like they followed me back in. But I, I called the uh, called the producer. I was like, "Man, you guys are missing some good television right now, boys." <laughs> I was like, "But and it's hap- it's every day, and it's you know it's I can't." People ask me, "Well, what's how do you compare bison ranching to cattle ranching?" I can't. They're not the same. No, they're not the same. Cattle ranchers deal with what they deal with, and I deal with what I deal with. And these animals, yes, I I, I interact with them, and they're somewhat docile until they're not. I got my shoulder dislocated last last spring. Um, So it's like then, you know, then you get so wrapped up in the moment, too. You know, you're thinking about trying to, like, how do I not get myself killed with a bison? And last year I was working working the bison, and I got bit by a rattlesnake. And – it legitimately, it felt like someone taking a knuckle. This is the only way I can put it, and just frogging the crap out of my handle, or my handle, <laughs> my yeah. uh, my ankle. Oh. And uh, immediately, whoop, got a visual on the snake. It never rattled. It was coming. It was coming out of the season, and so it was blind. And I'm not going to blame the snake for that. But immediately, I got a visual on the snake. I ripped my pants off to make it because I knew it hit me in the boot. It low enough, and luckily it did not penetrate my boot. But it was the scariest, like, 30 seconds, like, because I was in the middle of nowhere when it when it happened. And I'm ripping my pants. I mean, I, like, got back, and then I was able to uh, take out the threat. But I it, it took me to another level. I mean, the snake had 11 buttons on it. And I was like, it made me start thinking so much. Like, I never realized the power. You don't realize it, and I'm caught – Tons and tons of snakes. But the power that that snake had on that strike was like a full-grown man. Just wham. I'd rather deal with about 30 grizzly bears than one rattlesnake, just so you know. And bees? (laughs) I'm not scared of a snake, but I am scared to death of bees. I I will scream. I will run. <laughs> I, I hate bees. Oh, my goodness. I have the worst luck with bees. And I have the worst luck with bears, too. I, I, I have so many people that live in the country, neighbors nearby, and uh, they, have never, they have never seen a bear. And I'm like, come with me. I promise you, you're going to see a bear. <laughs> you and, it, and it happens. It, no, I've got the worst luck. Even Georgia. Georgia, people think of Georgia, and they're like, oh, it's just whatever. We have... There's a lot big of black old black bears, bears back there. Huge black, mm-hmm. black bears. And uh, don't quote me on this, but you, you guys, Google it. Look it up. Um, black bear, I think the record black bear in Georgia is holding at over 700 pounds. I believe it. The, yeah. They have such a long food growing season, such a short hibernation season. They're, they're every bit as big as some of these grizzlies here. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I, I remember a camping trip up in the North Georgia mountains. We're sitting there. I'm sitting there with the family. And uh, my, uh, my wife had just gotten out of the tent and went to do her business. And she comes back, and it's the middle of the night. She comes back in the tent. She's laying down, and this bear comes up. And we were, we were up in some deep country up there. And uh, the bear bumps up against the uh, the tent, 
You know, and I, it blows my mind the mentality of people. They think they get in a tent and they feel so safe mm. with that, <laughs> that three sixteenths thick, you know, sidewall of that tent. And uh, the bear bumps up in the tent and it's grunting. And she looks at me and she was like, "What was that?" I was like, "Oh, I turned over. It's nothing. Go back to sleep," because I'm like, "This is a big bear, and the last thing I want her doing right now is freaking out." And so the next day, the next morning, we go out. There's tracks all there, tracks and scat all around. And the bear left because we didn't react to it. You know, we didn't engage it. And uh, it had gotten up and messed with my cooler and whatnot. But I was like, oh, there's nothing. It's just me. Go back to sleep. And she <laughs> was furious at me the next day. And I looked at her and I said, you know something? As mad as you just got, now put fear and anxiety and frustration with that into the tent. If you would have freaked out like that in the tent, what would have happened? Yeah. And that's the way we have to think. And it's easy. You know, we can't, we have to, like, fear is a survival tool, but it's also being able to mitigate, mitigate that fear and control that fear. And the only way to do that is to get, put yourself out there, get out there and, and work, you know, with be around those animals. You know, those, again, those animals are not, we're on their territory when we go out there. And if you expect life to be grand and, and say, guess what? You better think again. It's a false sense of security. Yeah, it's a false sense of security. Well put. And, but that's the beautiful thing. We can get out there and we can still experience yep. it. And we have all these entities that are working for us as well and keeping the roads improved, keeping the campsites improved, um, you know, protecting the wildlife, uh, you know, and managing the wildlife. But let's, let's, let's push for, you know, let's get the family out there. Let's hunt, let's fish, but also let's, let's keep good laws, good laws. Mm. And let's also, let's make some new laws for managing animals. Yeah. So where do we find out more? How, how can people get a hold of you? Where do they find you? Um, social media. Um, <laughs> I, I, I try not to, you know, I'm kind of old school. I, I put my phone number out there as well. I mean, it's all over the internet. So sometimes my phone's like just going crazy, but, uh, yeah, you can go to a Josh Kirk mountain man on Facebook or Josh Kirk mountain man on Instagram. Um, there is a little thing that says click for email, click on that. It'll shoot me an email. I'll get it when I can get it. And uh, I will respond back, and I'm just excited to be a part of this. Uh, I'm excited also to represent Wyoming. Um, it's humbling. It's an honor, and I appreciate all the fans and affiliates that are out there with the show. You guys keep supporting us, and we're gonna still we're gonna keep working and support the rendezvous and mm. support you guys. You guys are awesome, by the way. I've, <laughs> I've done so many podcasts. I'm gonna tell you straight up, this is the best podcast. You guys are just y'all are real. That's awesome. Y'all are cool. Seriously, we're we're trying to have fun and trying to promote people being out there, man. I mean, that's what this is all about. We got to get more folks out there enjoying the same stuff and and appreciating the outdoors for what it is. Well, look to look for classes. I'm going to be doing a lot of events and a lot of classes coming coming up. And uh, I was talking to a friend of mine a while back and he was like, we should do the naked and afraid experience during the winter out there. May happen, actually. You never know. You never know. You never know. For those of you who want to sign up, <laughs> thirty below in the Wind Rivers, come out and oh, try man. naked afraid. <laughs> oh man, it, that's it, it blows my oh. mind. But listen, thank you guys so much. And again, you guys can find me on social media. Uh, check out some of the products. Check out some of the upcoming classes. Support your family. Support wildlife. Get your family out there. Give them an experience. Take them hunting. Take them fishing. And um, you know, we are we're all going to struggle. We're going to fight. We're going to have our trials and our troubles and our tribulations, but somehow we have to find ourselves supporting one another um, 
learning to respect your brother, learning to respect your sister, learning to appreciate where they're coming from because their family may not be like your family, but we still have to work with each other and let's find a solution. Let's collaborate. Collaboration is key to change. Good change. I agree. Yep. So thanks again to you because I know you absolutely didn't have to do this and we are grateful for your time and for your effort and coming in here and doing this. And, um, Guys, if you want to hear more and you want to see more on this podcast, you can definitely go to RadCastOutdoors.com. Follow us on social media at RadCastOutdoors at podcast. Make sure you put that in there and uh, check out our Instagram as well. And wherever you're listening to this today, go ahead and like, share, rate, subscribe, and go get you a, a nice new RadCast hat. Yep. And again, we can't do this without you guys. I mean, this is all... Based on um, the audience, this is all made for you, trying to inspire you to do more and be better out there. So, you know, we can't do it without you. So definitely help us out with some ratings. And uh, I better try this new thing too, by the way. We'll, we'll, get, we'll get you going. So, yeah. <laughs> all right. Peace out. Thanks, guys. Thank you.